Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. So there were words of knowledge given yesterday. People were healed yesterday. Bodies were touched yesterday. And we absolutely know God's going to show up and do the same thing and even more today. So, you know, if you, if you weren't here yesterday, Paul Martini is an associate evangelist with Global Awakening. That's out of the Harrisburg, Mechanicsburg area in Pennsylvania. Uh, he's traveled extensively to, I believe it was over 30 nations, uh, where he's seen major breakthroughs in that area of impartation and healing, just releasing uh, the love of God to people so they come into an encounter with God. You know, I would say that he's a revivalist, but even more importantly, I believe that he has that DNA of a revivalist. So even as uh, I've only known him for like 48 hours, but just talking to him and and just receiving even over a meal's conversation, uh, that DNA is infectious. Do you know that? The DNA that you carry with people, good or bad, will leak out onto other people. So I just love his heart, his DNA as a revivalist, and he is simply here to fan the flame of revival in our hearts. He's the fan, your individual flame, and he's to do it uh, for our corporate body. So we're going to be back here tonight at 6 o'clock. It's going to have a specific focus on healing. So find the people that you know that are hurting, that are sick, and bring them at 6 tonight. Why don't we honor Paul as he comes forward today? Thanks, Kurt. Love you, bro. Good morning. Oh, it's so good to be here. Worship was amazing, wasn't it? Just, I love worship. I love entering in. We all get to do that. It's amazing. Um, again, my name is Paul Martini. Those of you who don't know me, I'm actually born and raised in the Philadelphia area. So um, I apologize a few weeks ago to the Steeler fans. I know if you want to just, let's just put that behind us. Okay. All right. Just kidding. You guys have way more uh, rings than we do, so we can't talk yet. I know. Um, my, uh, I've, I've been married about three and a half years to my wife, Ruth. Uh, she unfortunately couldn't make it today because uh, we have a uh, six-week-old baby. And uh, I, I was getting it wrong yesterday. It's at, my other baby's 18 months old. So she's got her hands very full. And, uh, and uh, my wife... Um, uh, she's originally uh, from Australia, and, um, and so if, you, if she does come, uh, maybe in a future date, uh, she sounds a little funny to us, but um, she's great. So uh, I actually, um, all my, all my uh, messages actually start out with a little joke. Is it okay if I do that on a Sunday morning? Are you sure? Because sometimes, you know, if a, if a pastor has a good, you know, if, if I don't like his message and he has a good joke, you know, it's okay, you know, so. But, so if you don't like my message, maybe you like my joke. So. Um, which one should I do? Can I do? I'll do the one I did yesterday. Here we go. Have you ever tried to, uh, <laughs> have you ever, uh, uh, God's giving you a test, a trial, and you just missed the point of the test, you know? And what I love about God is he doesn't fail you. He just makes you take it over again until you get it. Well, this school science teacher, I can really relate with him. Uh, he says, in a school science class, four worms are placed into four separate jars. The first worm was put into a jar of alcohol. The second worm was put into a jar of tobacco. The third worm was put into a jar of sugar. And the fourth worm was put into a jar of soil. So after one day, these were the results. The first worm in alcohol, dead. The second worm in uh, tobacco, dead. The third worm in sugar, dead. 
but the fourth worm in soil alive. So the science teacher asked the class, students, what can we learn from this experiment? Well, with that, little Johnny quickly raised his hand and says, as long as you drink, smoke, and eat candy, you won't have worms. <laughs> totally missed the point. He's going to have to retake that one. I thought that was cute, so. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I went to uh, uh, ministry school, and, um, and when I uh, graduated, I had the opportunity to intern with Dr. Randy Clark. I ended up being, becoming on staff and being his assistant for four years. Um, it was never my intention to be on stage. It was never my intention uh, to have a, an itinerant ministry. I, I really uh, actually had a position uh, open to be an associate pastor somewhere. And that's where I felt God was calling me uh, until I realized that that wasn't where God was calling me. Um, and so when, when I ended up uh, going on staff with Dr. Randy Clark, my agenda was never to be here, but to just carry his books, get his Bible, um, set up the logistical things uh, in these meetings that a lot of people don't uh, realize happen behind the scenes. And so that was my role. And, uh, but during those first two, three years, Randy was really mentoring me and discipling me. And, and after a couple of years, he pulled me to the side and he said, you know, Paul, I want you to speak at least one time at every one of my conferences. And I was so honored. I mean, there's amazing people at Randy's conferences, uh, you know, not only him, but Bill Johnson, Heidi Baker, Reinhard Bonnke, um, uh, uh, Mark Sharona, Bob Hazlett, amazing people that I honor. I mean, sometimes Bill Johnson speaks and I think I'm not even, I'm like, I'm not saved. You know, I need to get saved, you know, I'm, I'm just being, I'm kidding. But, you know, I mean, it's just the revelation so heavy. I said, uh, Randy, wow, thank you so much. And then I, I went to my prayer closet. I closed the door. I said, oh, God, help me, God. God, what am I going to do? God, what am I going to say? God, what am I going to say after Randy Clark says it or Bill Johnson says it? God, what am I going to say? And God spoke so clearly to me. He said, Paul, I want you to speak on the message of your life. And I knew exactly what God was talking about because the, the journey that God had taken me through, the, the, the things he had taught me, I realized wasn't just for myself, but was for others. And I just want to encourage you today, whatever mess you're going through, God's going to make it into a message. He's going to make it into a message. He's going to make that test into a testimony. I can go all day on these things. But. And the message of my life is the power of God's peace. That's the message of my life. I grew up, I'm an Italian-American, and uh, out of Philadelphia, I grew up in a, in a very busy household, one of four kids. My parents uh, 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 were very loud. I mean, if, if, if you, if you, when I bring my wife over to dinner at my parents' house and all my brothers and their spouses and my sister and their spouses come over, it is so, we're yelling at each other. Now, we're not angry with each other. It's just that we talk over one another, and it keeps building and building and building and building, and before the end of the night, we're all screaming at each other, and uh, when I look over, I see my wife, she's like shaking. You know, I'm like, it's okay, honey. You know, it's, we're, we're all right, you know. But my house uh, was full of tension. Um, my father, he had a successful business in Philadelphia. We moved outside to uh, the upper middle class suburbs, and his business tanked. And I remember going over to the sink, and there'd be no water uh, pouring out because uh, he, didn't, he didn't have enough money to pay the bill, or the electricity would be shut off a couple times a year. Things were tight. Tension was in the home. Uh, uh, I, and I knew, uh, I, I didn't, I knew there was no peace in that house. My, my mother today, she's a great intercessor. That's her gifting. She, she loves intercession. Back then, she was a great warrior. She worried about everything you could worry about. And if you didn't know what to worry about, she'd tell you. 
We grew up in a Christian culture, a Christian home. I, we, I, would, go, I would go to uh, church on Sundays. I would hear, peace to you, peace be with you, peace unto you. And I think, man, when is that ever really happening? I thought that was some sort of allegory. I thought that was some sort of metaphor because I never experienced it in home. My understanding of the world's peace, uh, of, of, of peace was the world's understanding of peace. And that is the absence of conflict. And I always thought, man, there's always conflict. I even, you know, on 90% of our tombstones, it says, rest in peace. You don't get it till you're dead. <laughs> that was my idea of peace. But you see, the world's understanding of peace is not God's understanding of peace. The world's understanding of peace is the absence of conflict. But God's understanding of peace overcomes the conflict, transcends the conflict. See, my understanding was that peace was weak, that peace was fragile, that peace was easily broken. I knew that if two countries sign a peace treaty, it only takes one bullet to break that peace treaty. But that's not God's peace. See, I believe, and I'll show you in Scripture, I believe, I believe that God's peace advances the kingdom of God. I believe that God's peace is powerful. I, you know, I think uh, the enemy, he's a great strategist. He knows he doesn't need to steal your talent, your gifting, your, your, your special whatever. All he needs to do is steal your peace. He doesn't need to burn down every church in America. He just needs to make sure the people inside don't have peace. Because when you don't have peace, you become ineffective for the kingdom of heaven. Look, this is my life message. Usually, when you go to ministry school, they teach you, you know, Paul, only do one verse, three points in a poem. That's what you do when you do a message. <laughs> people can't take more than that. But because this is my life's message, I'm going to um, go through several verses. There's over 400 verses in the Bible that speak on God's peace. This is not something that's peripheral or to the side. This is central to the gospel message. And I'm going to go real quickly. I apologize. I'll probably go quicker than you can look them up. But I, I encourage you to read them, meditate on them, study them, get the recording today. All right? Is it okay? You guys good? All right. You know what? You look better on your face, with a smile on your face, I'll just tell you that. <laughs> Seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit, <laughs> but joy is, so it's okay. All right. Philippians 4, 7, very popular verse, it says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Man, I've read this verse so many times. I've seen it written on walls. I've seen it uh, on bookmarkers. I've seen it on plaques. I've seen it in Christian bookstores. But until I went through this journey myself, I didn't really, really realize what this verse meant. But according to the Apostle Paul, what guards your heart and mind? The peace of God. Well, if that's the case, what's exposed when you don't have the peace of God? Your heart and your mind. When you don't have God's peace, even as a Christian, when God's peace is not with you, on you, you are totally exposed to the pressures of this world or the attacks of the enemy. God's peace is that important to the gospel message. Galatians 5.22 talks about peace being a fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And, and I, I, I love this verse. When I was meditating on this verse, God gave me a picture of a fruit basket. And he said, Paul, your fruit's not just for you. How many know that, that what happens to fruit when it's not picked from a tree? That's right. It gets too big for its own good. It falls off and it rots to the ground. And, and listen, folks, even though the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of our relationship with, with, with Christ Jesus comes out of our lives, it's not just for us, but it is for others. It is to be given away, just like a fruit basket. 
And, and I want to tell you that you can walk into a place of despair, a place of chaos, a place of hopelessness, and you can lay your hands on the person next to you, and by the Spirit, the peace of your life will transfer to their life, or love, or joy, or patience, kindness, because this peace is powerful. I love the example, uh, if I took an orange and I squeezed it into a glass and apple juice came out, wouldn't you find that odd? Wouldn't you say something's wrong here? I said it before, and there's a guy in the back said, yeah, that means there's too much GMOs. I said, okay, buddy. All right, sit down. Okay. But we would find that odd. We would say, orange, orange should produce orange juice. But listen, folks, what's inside of us comes out of us. And when, as Christians, when the pressures of this world come and the attacks of the enemy come and uh, anxiety, fear, worry, stress, doubt come out of us, we should find that odd. Because the reality is, is when you do have the peace of God upon you, when those things come against you, when the attacks of the enemy come upon you, the more peace you should get, or the more love, or the more joy. In Isaiah 9, 6, it prophesies of Jesus. It says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Romans 16, 20, this is my favorite Bible verse, says this, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Not the God of power, although he's all-powerful. And not the God of love, although he embodies love. He is love. But who crushes Satan under your own feet? The God of peace. Why? Because his peace is powerful. Romans 14, 17, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. According to this verse, peace is a third of the kingdom of heaven in the Holy Ghost. If you, as a Christian, think that you're just going to survive and, and that you're just going to try to make it in life without having his peace, you are missing out on a third of the kingdom of heaven. You see, you have the God of peace who sent the Prince of Peace, who gave us the gospel of peace. Do you see a theme here, folks? This is central to the gospel message. Many pastors and leaders, when they teach on peace, they, they, always, uh, they often will use this section of Scripture that I'm about to use. It's in Mark 4, 35 through verse 40. It's a very popularized Scripture. Jesus is, uh, tells his disciples, we're going to the other side, and they get in a boat. I'm going to read it quickly for you so that we all can be on the same page. It says this, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they, looked, they took him along, in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, whenever I see Jesus interacting with the disciples, I always want to slow down my reading. I always want to see, Jesus, what are you teaching? in this moment. Because remember, Jesus is showing his disciples how to live on earth. That's what you do when you disciple, right? He was discipling. And so I always slow down my reading. God, what's, what's, what's your point here? And I don't know about you, but I always think he's hard on these guys. I'm like, I would respond it the same way, God. Look, back then there was three modes of transportation. Walking or running, donkey or horse, or going on a boat. Might not be as popular today, but especially back then, it was popular as a, a, form of, a, a common form of transport, especially where they lived. 
Look, I, I fly about 150,000 miles to 200,000 miles every year, depending on the year, encouraging the saints. Uh, the, the message of our life is to build up the saints for the work of ministry. How many know that we all have the Holy Spirit? We all get to do the stuff. It's not always about the man or woman of power for the hour, but we all get to play because he resides in us and he has all the gifts. But I fly about 150, 200,000 miles a year, and I know that uh, uh, planes are one of the safest, excuse me, the safest mode of transport that we have today. Out of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of flights that fly out every day, you may hear one going down commercially every few years. Now, I know that recently, a, a, couple, a couple years in a row, there were some tragedies. But even so, it's still the safest mode of transport. In 2013 or 14, there were 404 million American passengers that flew just in that year. It's a lot of flying. I know that turbulence is just a difference in air pressure. As a plane is going up, maybe going through a, a cloud or a storm or coming on descent, there'll be some shaking going on. But turbulence is very, 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 very rare to ever take down a plane. But I can always tell when somebody new is sitting next to me. <laughs> because when that plane's going up, maybe it's going through a little cloud or storm, you start seeing them white knuckle in the armrest next to them grimace in their face. I look over, I go, oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> they think they're in danger. Oh, he must be an amateur flyer, you know. <laughs> but when I see the flight attendant or the stewardess get nervous, if I see them running around going, everyone, put on your seatbelts, put on your seatbelts, get out of the bathroom, get out of the bathroom, sit down, sit down. Well, then I get scared. Then I'm commanding angels under the wings, you know. I'm, I got my Bible out ready for my last salvation message, you know, I'm praying in my prayer language. Why? Because they're experts. They know what it's like to see a situation that planes might not survive. And listen, folks, these disciples, they were expert boatsmen. Many of them were fishermen. They knew what it was like to see a storm that boats don't survive. And there was a point in that storm where the disciples accepted the fear in front of them. And once fear gets inside you, it spreads like wildfire. The media knows this. That's how they spread news, right? Fear, 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 fear. And I, I'm just... You know, I can just imagine in that moment, when, it, when fear gets inside you, I don't know, the only thing that makes you feel any better as a, as, as in our humanity is to make sure the person next to us knows how fearful they should be. And so I could just imagine the disciples go, where's Jesus, 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 wake up, this is a fearful moment. This is a time to be afraid. And Jesus, who's in the same storm, in the same boat as they were, Instead of accepting the fear in front of him, he releases the peace inside him and it overcomes the storm. Now listen, many people will say that this scripture shows you that peace will sustain you through a storm. Now that's biblically true. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your hand, your staff, they comfort me. There'll be times where you will need God's peace to sustain you through a real storm in your life. That's absolutely true. But I don't think that's Jesus' point. Why? 
Because if that was his point, he would have discipled that way. He would have said, okay, folks, uh, let's, let's hold hands. Let's uh, meditate on the scriptures and sing psalms until we get to the other side. I don't know. I'm just... This is just my opinion, okay? But if you read that scripture again, Jesus said, we're going to the other side. This is my, my opinion. Whenever a storm challenges the destiny over your life, you have every right to stand up to it and allow the peace of God to overcome it. His peace is powerful, folks. I remember being in Baltimore, Maryland. I was helping a friend in ministry, uh, handing out clothing and food and around November a few years ago. And uh, in the middle, we put these folding lawn chairs out in the center. Uh, Baltimore has some of the highest crime rates. Um, this area of Baltimore, they had a special city ordinance that they couldn't buy alcohol before a certain time in the day because there were too many people getting drunk before they went to work or they got drunk on a break and couldn't go back in the work. And it was ruining the society of that part of the city that a special city ordinance just to restrict alcohol sales. We went to the Central Park, and we're just loving on these people, handing out clothing, feeding them. And in the center, on those lawn chairs, we were praying for the sick. We were saying, anyone who needs healing, anyone who needs freedom from addiction or deliverance, we'll pray for you if you sit in one of these chairs. And it was wonderful times of ministry at that point. And I remember this gentleman named Kevin. I found out later his name was Kevin. He's, he's passing by me, and he stops. Now, he wasn't homeless or anything. He had a nice leather jacket, nice Bluetooth headset. He had a nice uh, golf cap. He's just strolling along. And he said, what are you guys doing here? And I told him what we were doing. And he said, would you pray for me? I said, sure, Kevin, what's wrong? He said, three years ago, I had a stroke. He said, I have a clawed hand like this. Can't open my hand. He said, on the same side of my foot, uh, on, on my body, I have a thing called drop foot. I can't raise my foot. See, I told you, he passed by me. He didn't walk by me. He actually used his cane and drug his foot like this as he's walking through the park. I said, sure, Kevin, I'll pray for you. I've prayed for hundreds of people up to this point. I said, okay, Kevin, uh, close your eyes. He, see, Kevin wasn't church broke. He didn't know how to assume the position. You know what I mean? You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. So I had to teach, close your eyes. It doesn't say to close your eyes, but it makes me feel better if you close your eyes. So, um, so I, you know, I, I thank God for Kevin's life. I thank God for what he was about to do. I thank God for his healing power. I welcome the Holy Spirit to come. And then... I commanded the nerves to grow in the name of Jesus because I knew that this was nerve damage. I commanded the atrophied muscle to strengthen because I knew that this was, uh, uh, hadn't been used as atrophied muscle. And then I did something I'd never done before, just being led by the Spirit of God. I put my hand over his head and I said, and I command all chaos to leave and I speak the peace of God over your body. That was a 20 second prayer. I said, Kevin, check it out. He went like this. Oh my God, oh my God, what'd you do to me? What'd you do to me? Who are you? Do you have a card? I said, no, Kevin, I don't have a card. I said, I'm a Christian and Jesus loves you. And I said, when I saw this, I was like, surely God's healed. I was like, check out your foot, Kevin. He was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Now he's going up to strangers who didn't know he had a problem. He was like, look at my hand. Look at this. Look at that. And they're like, okay, sir, get away from me. And, uh, and for, uh, for 40 minutes, Kevin was sitting down, standing up at the park bench. And I'm going, well, Kevin, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just making sure I could do this. I couldn't do this before. It was easy to bring Kevin to Jesus that day. Kevin, do you want to know Jesus who did this to your body? Yeah, what must I do to be saved kind of thing. Kevin's still healed and saved to this day. Powerful miracle. Kevin had a tangible storm that challenged his destiny, and the peace of God overcame it. I remember being in Brazil. There's this wonderful 
beautiful oil canvas painting in Dr. Randy Clark's, uh, one of his studies in the basement. There's a, there's a, a cloud, and in the cloud is the hand of God sticking out, and it has a pitcher of wine. He's pouring the wine from heaven. There's a man standing under the wine, drinking from the wine of heaven. That painting was painted by a famous Brazilian Christian painter called Daniela. And um, we, we go to Brazil 50, 60 days a year. I know a little bit of Portuguese. I can pray a tiny bit, but don't talk to me about it. Don't talk to me in Portuguese. I won't be able to understand. But, but when we were down there um, just three years ago, it was in March, and uh, her family approached us and said, um, Daniela has been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, it's all in her bones. She's uh, on stage four. They just tried this experimental treatment. The doctors had told us that it did not work and that she has a few weeks to live, maybe a few months. And uh, she's in hospice in their home, in the parents' home, in a hospital bed in a hospital gown. And they said, listen, we didn't tell Daniela the last prognosis because we heard you guys were here and we just wanted you to pray first, but we will tell her. I said, okay. And so um, we drove to her house. Randy and I. He sat on one side of the bed. I sat on the other side of the bed. And, uh, and we're praying and we're praying. And I, and, and I don't close my eyes because you always want to see what God's doing when I pray. I just, you know, you don't have to close your eyes. But, but I just, I, I close my eyes. You know, sometimes, at least when I was growing up, I always thought if I furrowed my brow, my prayers had more zing on them. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, I really mean this one, God, you know? Like, but um, that's not true, apparently. But um, so I close my eyes because I just wanted God to, I just really wanted to see Daniela healed. And, and, I, and I felt this, I've never felt this before or since, but I felt this wind come across my face. And I open my eyes and I look over and I see Daniela and she's sitting there in her hospital bed, in her hospital gown, sitting up and she's crying and laughing. And we're going, Daniela, what's happening? She says, I don't know. I just feel waves of peace and waves of electricity flowing through my body. Now, I never tell people, well, take it, you're healed. I say, Go get a doctor to verify your healing. See, Jesus even told the leper, go show yourself to the high priest. Show yourself that you're clean. It's, it's not a lack of faith to go to a doctor. Okay? Just, so, so, but I told Randy, I said, Randy, I've never experienced that before. I think Danielle is healed. We have two employees in Brazil, and I followed up with them. And uh, six months later, I get an email saying that they went to her house. Daniela not only got totally healed, she's already back to work after that prayer. It's the power of his peace. See, I believe that his peace is the conduit that the power of God loves to flow through. When you have his peace, his power flows easily. God never changes. I say, well, I'm just an extension cord from heaven and earth. It's not me that's healing you. It's God. He never changes. Sometimes I have a burnt fuse on my end. Sometimes I've accepted the fear in front of me. Sometimes I've, 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 not, I've released his peace. I've not, I've not. See, a lot of people think that his peace is something to create when it's really something to receive. You can't create peace. Not God's peace. That's something you receive. Turn your affections towards him. Let him pour it into you. And watch all fear fade. See, I love chapters and verses in the Bible. I love them uh, because they help us with references. They divide stories for us. But, you know, how many know that the Bible wasn't originally written with chapters and verses? Like, John wasn't going, chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. He, he didn't do that. We added them as a church to help us, and I love that. But I have this little thing about Mark 4. Why? 
Because Mark 5, 1 through 15, it says the boat touches the other side. I don't think the story's over. I think 4 just keeps going. And what happens? A lot of us know this story. It says a demonized man's come to meet Jesus there. This man is a terrorist. He's terrorized the people there. They hate him. It says he runs around naked, screaming, cutting himself. These people hate him so much that it says that they chained him up and thrown him in a cave. Now, you've got to hate someone a lot to do that to them. And it says that the man in this, in this cave, he was so full of demons, they were so strong that he broke the chains anyway, and he terrorized the place anyway. And it says that this man sees Jesus, he meets Jesus, and Jesus casts the demons out of the man into the pigs. Pigs go into the sea. And it says the townspeople are coming to see what happened. Now, most likely it's their pigs, okay? But it says, this is how, this is how evil you know these townspeople are, because it says this. They see this man, whom they know, talking to Jesus, sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And the next few words just boggle my mind because it says this, and they were terrified. You see, when you have God's peace, the enemy's terrified. You become a weapon fashioned to advance the kingdom of heaven. The, the Apostle Paul, you know, he talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. I remember growing up in Sunday school where they would always go uh, uh, have a, a teenager stand up with plastic spray-painted silver and gold armor. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's like, and they would have this helmet of salvation, and they would put this uh, helmet of salvation on. They'd have these really cool illustrations, the salvation of Christ, and, and they, the, the belt of, uh, of truth, and the breastplate of righteousness, and the sword of the Spirit, and the shield of faith. It was all these amazing illustrations. And it always seemed like when they ever got to the end, they would go, and the shoes of peace. Like they didn't know what to say about it. You'll have peace. I used to think the Apostle Paul ran out of body parts. He was going, and we'll put uh, peace on the feet, you know? <laughs> That's what I thought. But here's the reality. The reality is it doesn't matter how well you wave your sword or hold your shield. If you don't have his peace, you're not going anywhere. That's the reality. Jesus even told his disciples how to take cities. They said, go two by two and find what? The house of peace. May your peace rest on that house. And if they don't receive you, may come back to you. I know a Brazilian pastor who uh, takes this at its word. And he, has, he went from a church of a small church to a church of over 10 to 12,000 people. Because he wasn't trying to save the whole city. He was trying to find the house of peace. And when he found the house of peace, when they would knock on door to door, they broke up the city from block to block, found that one house. And that house became a house of peace where they then influences city. I, 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 in Harrisburg, Harrisburg is an interesting city. It's not very large like Philadelphia where I'm from or Pittsburgh where uh, you guys are close to. Harrisburg um, barely makes it over 100,000 people, I think, if you, if you include some of the suburbs. But when I was living in Harrisburg uh, as a student, the, um, uh, it was during the recession. And when the recession hit, um, they were so over budget already that they were going to be the first capital, the first U.S. capital uh, uh, of a state capital to actually declare bankruptcy. And, um, and when the poverty levels reached really high that year, the value of life became really low. And it was just so horrible to watch what was happening to the city. I remember the police officers were having to station their routes on the corners on the way to school because children were literally being beaten up for their uh, uh, lunch money by 20 to 30 year old men. Um, the, uh, I'm just giving you context for the type of crime that's in the city. Um, uh, one in 10 people would have a violent offense against them, against them if they lived in that city at that time. Um, 
I remember one story, a man didn't want to pay for his taxi from point A to point B, so he just shot the driver in the back of the head. That kind of violence. And uh, my friend Jennifer Drott, she, she has this vision from the Lord uh, to buy one of the houses on the, on the worst street of the neighborhood. And uh, these houses are worth less than most of our cars. Uh, it was well under $10,000. Uh, she she uh, prayed a bunch of other ladies, got the same call from the Lord to move in with her. And, um, and they fixed it up. And I, look, I wouldn't tell anyone to do what these ladies did unless they felt God called them to. I was like, Jen, are you going to have strong men move in next door maybe, you know, to protect you girls? Or Nope. Are you going to put an alarm system? Nope. Are you going to put some bars on the windows? Nope. Are you going to buy a guard dog, Jen? You need something. Nope. They got a little kitten. I was like, like, come on. She said, well, I'm not going to move in here and and close up my shop like I'm not going to be a light to this community. She would help the ladies, the children that would be unmonitored, unsupervised. She would, even the men that would pass out on her stoop, she would help get into rehab. And one of the ladies, her name's Mary, was walking from that house to the corner convenience store, broad daylight. And while she's walking to the corner convenience store, a man in the alleyway jumps up out of the alleyway, holds a knife to her neck and says, if you move and scream, I'm going to kill you. Now listen, I have a lot of pastoral feelings. I, I, I would say, Mary, whatever you had to do to get out of that situation, I would understand. If you've ever been in a, a victim situation like that, it's very traumatic. And, uh, and I would say, look, whatever he made you do, we understand. Let's just try to get you healed up and whole and, and in your right mind again. Now Mary, she looked at that man, who I believe represents real fear, And she said, can I tell you about Jesus? And the man holding the knife to her neck did the only thing that fear can do in the real presence of the peace of God. He looks at her and he starts running away. And Mary turns it on him. She goes, wait, get back here. And she starts chasing the man with the knife. (laughs) John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, I believe he said it best. He said, whenever ministering, always stand on the rug of peace and never get off of it. Because his peace is powerful. You guys here? I was in a, a, a church in Sweden, 700 pastors and leaders, and I'm preaching my heart out. And they're like statues, stone faces. And I'm going, God, help me. God, I need you. God, get me out of here. I don't know what, I need more. God, help me. Help me while I'm preaching. And, and then afterwards, they're like, that was an amazing message. Thank you so much. I go, well, you could have told me. You know? I was in an African-American church in Philadelphia, and they're like, amen, brother, hallelujah. Preach it, brother. Preach it all, brother Paul. Preach it all, brother Paul. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So feel free. All right. (laughs) You guys are great. I used to glaze over these kinds of verses, but let's see what Jesus says. John 14, 26, 27. Jesus says, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom my Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. Now remember, Jesus has told the disciples that they're going to have to disciple nations. All of them are going to be martyred except for one. Okay? In verse 27, he says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I love this verse because Jesus very distinctly separates his peace from the world's peace. And he, and, he, and he shows how this is actually a transference of anointing from heaven to earth, from Jesus' life to their life. And his peace, you don't need to be afraid. 
His peace you don't need to fear. His peace is something to receive. And the enemy tries to convince us that we just need to keep our head down and go forward being restless when reality is we need to point our head up and receive and get real rest because his peace is powerful. When his peace is present, healing flows. When his peace is present, kingdom advances. John 20, 21. Jesus has now been raised from the dead. He's already died on the cross. He's going to ascend into heaven. What's so significant about Jesus' resurrection is not just that there's an empty tomb, not that only one or two people saw him, but hundreds of people saw Jesus because he was raised from the dead for 40 days before he ascended into heaven. So that, that in itself is just an amazing testament. But before he ascends into heaven, in John 20, 21, he says, Peace to you! Exclamation point. And then he says, As the Father sent me, I send you. And then he does this. He says, it breathes on him and sa- He breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I like to visualize the Bible, and I don't know why. I always just thought maybe Jesus kind of put them all together and as a group and said, Peace to you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Just blew on them. But I don't think he did that. I'm getting my Master's of Divinity at Regent University at the moment. And context is everything in the Bible. Before you can understand what the Scripture means to you, you need to know what it meant to the people of that time before you could ever understand it to you because it brings a richness and a depth. I'll expand the Scriptures for you. But you see, everything Jesus did up to that point, even as a corporate, his disciples, he did one-on-one. Like, even beforehand, uh, he was washing their feet. Do you remember this? And he wasn't washing their feet because uh, they were dirty. He washed each one of their feet. He washed each one of their feet because he was taking the lowest position of the house. He was showing them something. It was significant to them. They knew in their culture what that had meant. So I, this is just my opinion again, but I don't think Jesus blew on them corporately. I think he went up to each one of them and said, Peace to you. Receive the Holy Spirit. <sighs> but Jesus, why did you blow? What significance is that to a bunch of Hebrew people? And the only thing that I could find was that these Hebrew people grew up in synagogue knowing creation story where the first time God breathed on man, actually the last time God breathed on man, was in Genesis 2. It says he formed him out of the dust of the ground and God breathed into his nostrils and life came into them. Now Jesus died on the cross, tore the chasm away between God and man, raised from the dead, and he says, peace to you and breathes on them, symbolizing life being restored, that they would have peace again. Peace has now come for all of us to receive. All of us can have it. All of us are qualified to receive it. Isaiah 61 prophesies of Jesus, says he's come to set the captive free and proclaim freedom to the prisoner. Here's the interesting thing about that. Captives aren't, uh, uh, prisoners are in prison for things they've done wrong. They deserve to be there. They deserve it. They were sentenced. They deserve to be in prison. That's a prisoner. Captives are in prison for things they haven't done wrong. They're being held against their will. They don't deserve it. But here's the thing. Jesus has come to set both free. So whether you feel like you don't deserve his peace because of things you've done wrong with your own hands, 
or whether you feel like your peace has been robbed because things have been done against you, against your will that's robbed you of his peace. Jesus has come to set you both free. I know what it's like not to have his peace. I told you I have a, two little girls, a wife of three and a half years, but also I have twins. I have a boy and a girl, 12 and a half years old. My son's name's Giovanni. My daughter's name's Juliana. Told you I was Italian. <laughs> Those names might not work here, but where I'm from, they work. I was married at a very young age. I would call it my BC days at 19 years old. When my children, my twins, were about a year to a year and a half old. Look, I, I understand why God hates divorce. Because nobody wins. There is no winning party in a divorce. The husband doesn't win. The mother doesn't win. The wife, the children don't win. Even if they think they've won, no one's won. And the, the thing about the enemy, he tries, he sees a crack, tries to make the biggest divide he can out of a little crack. And I refuse to try to act like I'm an innocent party to anything in those days, okay? But um, there was a, a crack, and the enemy made a divide. And I remember when my children were about a year to a year and a half old that my wife at the time, uh, I came home from work one day, and I found another man's pillow on my bed. Now, he either purposely left his own pillow there, or they, they forgot it. And I remember their mother sitting me down and says, Don't you understand? I don't love you anymore, and I don't want to be with you anymore. And that crushed me. It hurt me so bad. And I went from seeing and wanting to see my children every day to hardly at all. And I wanted to see them. And I remember, um, uh, I never became an alcoholic, but I drank like one. I drank to numb the pain. I still worked. Uh, I had a very good job. I still worked and provided. But whenever I could, I would drink because I didn't have my own family. And uh, I remember being in the basement one day, um, uh, literally at rock bottom, and I'm, and I'm drinking wine directly from a bottle because no one could drink with me. Now listen, if you see someone drinking wine from a bottle, they don't have a decency to pour it in a glass, help them out. That, they need help, okay? But I remember being at bottom and just saying, God, help me. Feeling a presence there, not knowing really what that was. Going up to my bed and saying, God, I know you'll never use me, but maybe I could just be a good person because this isn't helping me. I decided to move back in with my parents as an adult man with my Italian mother, which is wonderful. Uh, <laughs> really. Um, now, Christmas, I love the celebration of our Savior's birth. I really do. Um, I just don't like what we've made Christmas into. It's just so stressful. It's all about, a lot of it, retail giving and giving. And I'm always like, you know, I, to me, I, I survive Christmas in terms of the, the, the season. My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Because nobody expects anything from you. All your friends, your, 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 your uh, brothers and sisters, their spouses, they all come over to mom and dad's house. You eat as much food as you can. You go and watch American football. You pass out. And then you wake up and you have dessert. <laughs> so it's a perfect holiday. I love it. I look forward to it. And I tell you that because the first uh, day that we had to have uh, uh, my lawyer and I, we, uh, we were going to see about getting some custody back for my children. We thought we would um, get it. And uh, it was the Monday before Thanksgiving. And um, we uh, 
we found out because of some things that the state had to verify that were not true, that were said, um, I didn't get the custody I thought I was going to get. And um, I ended up, uh, that Thursday, my brothers and sister and, and their spouses came over for an early dinner, but then they had to go to their spouse's family's houses. My parents are older, they went on off to bed, and there I am, sitting on the couch, all alone, without my own family. And I remember the, believing the lie the enemy spoke to me that night, that nothing will ever change in my life, that I'll never have peace. I remember believing that line, going to the bar, uh, it's a storefront bar, just all dark windows around the corner from my house. I remember going into that bar, there's nobody in there except an older Caucasian man, an older African-American man. I don't pay them any attention. I go to the other end of the bar, I order a shot, a pint of beer, drink them immediately, order another pint of beer, look behind me, I see a cigarette vending machine, I get a pack of cigarettes, I go outside, going all the way that night, I'm smoking my cigarette, wallowing in my sorrows, leaning against these dark glass windows, believing the lie that nothing will ever change in my life, that I'll never have peace. And this older African-American man, he comes out of the bar, and he's on his cell phone. He's just pacing back and forth, and I'm not paying him any attention because when you're from the city, you really don't talk to people you don't know. It's just a cultural thing. You know, you just kind of do your thing, stay in your own bubble, you know. Now that I travel out south and down west, and, uh, down south and out west, people are much more friendly. They're like, hi, what's your name? My name's Joe. I'm going to buy bread today. What are you going to do? I'm going, why? What are you, who are you? What? No. You know, what do you want to know that for? You know, but, um, so, uh, but I'm learning. I'm being nicer. Um, so I, I said, uh, so I didn't, I didn't pay him any attention, but this, this gentleman, he, he gets off his cell phone. And he opens the door to walk back in, and he stops and he looks at me. He says, are you going to make it? I said, what? He said, you heard me. Are you going to make it? And I said, yeah. He said, how do you know? Now, I don't know why I said this, but it was like I was transported back into children's church where the only three correct answers are Jesus, the Bible, and prayer. Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And I said, because Jesus? He said, Jesus? Why would you say Jesus? I said, because I'm a Christian. He didn't argue with me. He said, what's your name? I said, my name's Paul. He said, wow. He said, you know, the Bible, the Paul in the Bible did great things for God. He said, one day, Paul, you're going to do great things for God. And then he walked in the bar. I threw my cigarette down. I ran into my car, and I cried my eyes out because I realized that even if I made my bed in hell, like David wrote, God was after me. He was with me, and he wanted me to experience his peace and his redemption. And I'll tell you, that was the turning point in my life where I watched God sustain me through every storm with his peace or overcame the storm that challenged the destiny over my life. And my children and I, I have a, a good amount of custody now with them, and they love Jesus. They're Christians. And I have a great relationship because God's such a good redeemer. He makes the worst situation the best. His peace is available for us today. His peace is for us. We can experience him. We started praying for um, uh, a lot of, uh, we pray for a lot of different injuries and illnesses. Anyone who needs prayer, we always pray. And um, uh, we saw a lot of breakthrough about three years ago with PTSD. PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, A lot of our military are coming back from from overseas with uh, this, and there is no cure for it. Uh, There's uh, medicine that they can take to help cope. Uh, there's counseling they can get, but they're actually told that there is no answer for PTSD. And um, I'm not saying anyone has PTSD in this room, but it is the extreme of not having peace. Now, you don't need to be in the military to have PTSD. If you are 
are verbally or physically abused or you experience something traumatic, you could be suffering from PTSD. You don't have to be, but you could be. But even if you're not suffering from PTSD, I want this video to prophesy to you that whatever level of peace you might not have, that you can get it from him, from Jesus. This man, Dr. Mike Hutchings, was, uh, prayed for this man, and he was one of the first to get healed of PTSD. I have a letter from him, um, from Dr. Mike Hutchins, of, his P- of him still being healed of PTSD. So we're going to show this video. I want to pray for you corporately. I'll hand it over to Pastor Kurt, and then I'll, pr- I'll do ministry through laying on hands. But just allow this. Don't watch this for entertainment. Every time you think it's over, it's not. He's still going. But allow it to prophesy to you. Because in Revelation 19.10, it says, The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. What that means is when you hear a testimony, it should stir you because it prophesies to yourself that this is available, that I can step into it. So go ahead, dear. You can pray. Play it. This war, like all wars, has casualties. Sometimes it's more than shrapnel. And one of the huge things that we're facing as a country is so many uh, veterans coming back with PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, Monday night when Mr. Clark was handing out the books, he had handed out a book on identity, and that's why I had to get to him. And I knew I could went to the bookstore and get it, but something kept telling me, no, you need to go ask Randy Clark what the title of that book was. And you need to ask him specifically. The crowds parted like the Red Sea, because I didn't know how I was getting here. And I asked him the title of the book, and he told me, and he said, well, why do you need it? I said, I lost my identity quite a few wars ago, and I was trying to find myself. What was even better was that I think, I don't know, I'm speaking on your behalf, but I feel that he sensed that if he left me to wait for the team member, I was bolting for the door. Because I was scared, I was terrified, I was getting surrounded by the crowds, I was nervous, I wanted to get out of here, I was looking for a threat. But he didn't let me go, he took his mic off and he sat with me. Can't thank you enough for doing that for me. Before I go on, there is freedom in Jesus. come here to get prayer for PTSD. I've come here because I've been living with chronic nerve pain. I'm thinking, why do I have to deal with this PTSD? I came here for my nerve pain. God, what is going on? I want this pain out of my body because it's like cutting yourself with razor blades, having acid poured on your skin and your bones crushed 24-7. You can't breathe. I couldn't play with my kids. I couldn't be with my wife. I lost my love of music because the, the, the sound and the vibration was so intense. I have to sit at the back of the church or by the exit. I couldn't stand bright lights, so my senses kind of got dulled. All that's gone. Uh, Mike came and prayed for me, and he held on to my wrist, and I started to panic because I did not want to be restrained. And I think I could take Mike. He's a big guy, but I think I could take him, even in my weakened state. But what Mike did for me and what Jesus did through Mike to me was he made me look at his eyes and he wouldn't let me put my head down. And I kept wanting to put my head down because I didn't realize the guilt and the shame I was carrying from the horrific and horrible events that I cannot even put into words nor do I want to because I don't see those images anymore and I don't feel that pain.
the 10th of January, I went to my doctor with my wife. You know, I've been about 100 different doctors and specialists for my nerves and the PTSD, and I asked them, I said, uh, does PTSD ever go away? You know, can it be cured? Is there medicine? What's the answer? Because, you know, I'm always thinking about taking my life. I'm always, and everything's intense for me and my family. And they said, no, you don't ever lose PTSD. Monday night, I... Yeah, I got prayer from Mike, and as he was praying for me, I was crying, I was sweating, he, and I kept putting my head down. He said, look at my face. I said, don't tell me what to do. And he's like, I'm not letting you go till you look at me. And so he just kind of walked me through the stages, and I can't even tell you what all of them were, but it was a short prayer. It was only five minutes. It wasn't nothing deep, but it was like Jesus was touching my hand, and he was speaking to me, and I felt a peace that I haven't felt since I was probably a young child. And I walked in the door of my house Monday night and I kind of floated in the house, I guess. And my wife said to me, she said, babe, what happened? I said, I'm free. <laughs> I'm free. Let's stand and praise the Lord for days and freedom. <laughs> so happy for you. And you couldn't have normally got up in front of this many people and stood in the light, could you? Amen. You are free. Yeah. Okay. My wife told me, she said, babe, it looks like you've lost 2,000 pounds off your shoulders, and I don't know who you are. I've played with my kids. I've held them. I've hugged them. I haven't been afraid of what's on TV, what's outside. And even better, when I before I came here tonight, I just got to say this, I was still having a pain in my wrist, but I said, God, you've been so good. You've already brought me through. You got me out of bed. You got me out of the wheelchair. You got me off all these medications and narcotics. And tonight, when I go there, it's going to be done. And I don't need prayer because I'm just going there to glorify what you did for me. As I was sitting in the lobby over there, at five minutes to six, I was sitting there waiting for him to open the doors, and all of a sudden, I felt my left hand. And I looked down, and I was like, hand? You're back. And nobody prayed for me. There was no worship going on. I got on the phone, and I called my wife, and I said, thank you, Jesus. It's something to receive. Why don't you stand? Listen, I know that this isn't about me. This is between you and God. I know that I'm just the donkey Jesus comes into church on sometimes. You know the story of the donkey where he goes to the barn and he says to the cow, man, you should have seen me today. I was walking down the road and then people were clapping and waving, putting palm trees, leaves down at my stuff. And the cow says, donkey, was there anybody riding you today? Yeah, this man named Jesus. Oh, donkey, they weren't praising you. They were worshiping the one on you. I know it's not about me, 
please, I don't care if you remember my name, but this is between you and God. And so I don't want you praying in this moment. I don't want you speaking in tongues in this moment because I want you to receive. Because I want want you to receive his peace. You can pray as much as you want after. So just assume the position. Okay? And I'm going to pray for you. All right? Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for your peace that's here right now. Father, I thank you that your peace guards our heart and mind. Father, I thank you that your peace crushes Satan under our feet. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this room to manifest your peace in us. Lord, I ask that your peace would set us free if we feel guilty for the things we've done. Father, I feel like your peace, if your peace could come and set us, set the captive free for things that have been done against us, that would heal wounds. Father, that would, it would heal minds and hearts, God. That your, your presence, your anointing for peace will be transferred from heaven to their life by your spirit. Father, for I know it's not by power nor by might, but by your spirit. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. I come against every spirit of torment, every enemy of anxiety, worry, fear, and doubt. I command it to go now. I break off the spirit of death in Jesus' name. I come against restlessness in the name of Jesus. And I speak the peace of God over them. And as a prophetic act, just as Jesus did, I want to say peace to you. Receive the Holy Spirit. May the wind of heaven breathe on you right now as the Spirit comes and His peace fills you. May your peace, may His peace be on your feet so that wherever you go, wherever you step, His kingdom comes with you. As you lay hands on people that are in despair, in chaos, may there be a transference of anointing from your life to theirs for peace. As you walk through the threshold of houses, may all chaos leave and his peace remain. Because his peace is so powerful. God, we receive your peace. Jesus, we receive your peace. I bless what you're doing, God. I'm just asking for more right now. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.